Welcome to the Big Dreams Great Teams podcast with me, your host, Paula Maidens. I'm a mum of two, a hiring and leadership coach, speaker, ex-corporate recruiter and serial entrepreneur who is obsessed with teaching capable business owners just like you how to become graceful and powerful leaders surrounded by a team who perform like rock stars. On this podcast, we'll be talking about all things people, business and leadership because Big dreams need great teams. You simply cannot do it on your own. I'm excited to have you here. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, everybody. Today, I have Cassandra Goodman on the podcast to talk about how to activate your true brilliance as a leader in your business every day. She has over two decades of business experience in global executive roles, including being the global director of employee experience at Bupa, activating the purpose of 86,000 people in that workforce. She's written two books, and I've just read the second one called Being True, How to Be Yourself at Work. And today, that's what we're going to chat about, how we can be ourselves at work every day and not just on those good days. So a very big warm welcome to you, Cassandra. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Paula. I'm very excited to be here with you today. Would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself and how you came to to write a book about authentic leadership? Sure. It certainly wasn't something that I planned. It rarely is, I think. So I describe my career as kind of moving further and further up the supply chain. So I started my career in customer experience, innovation and design, quickly realized to deliver and sustain great customer experiences, you needed to deliver and sustain great employee experiences. So I spent some time in employee experience roles, including that role at Bupa. And today my focus is really on uh, helping leaders to transform their inner experiences because I realized that the inner experiences we have at work as leaders is really the thing that creates that ripple effect through the employee experience into customer experience. So that's why I say kind of I move further and further up the supply chain in my career. Love that. I'd like to start off our conversation by quoting a paragraph that I read in the intro to your book, and it was, true success is not just about loving what we do, it's about loving who we are while we do it, which I just loved. I got out my highlighter pen and tagged the page. I loved it. So can we start there? What have you personally experienced and what do you see happening in the leadership space that you're sort of trying to rewire, I guess? Mm, Great question. Yeah. I mean, call me slow, but it did take me 30 years of working to figure that out. You know, I remember graduating from university and very naively writing in my graduation book that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, which, you know, (laughs) sounds all good in theory. But of course, it's not that simple. And so it took me many decades of working to figure out that it's not enough to love what you do unless you also love who you're being while you do it. I also figured out that it's really hard to love or even like who you're being at work when you're not being yourself. And then I think the third truth that that I've discovered in my own lived experience is that it's really, really tricky to be yourself. You know, Shakespeare wrote that line all those years ago, to thine own self be true. But it's really, really tricky because there's so many voices in our heads that push and pull us in so many directions. I meet so many leaders who don't really know who they are and and maybe even afraid to look inside to figure that out. 
So really my work is about normalizing how tricky it is to actually be true to yourself as a leader, that it's really tricky, that it takes really, I think, an intentional and precise self-leadership practice to do that. And I would argue it takes a self-leadership practice that's kind of based on an understanding that we're not singular in our psychology, that we actually all have many parts. There's a core Paula, there's a core Cassie, but we also have many parts. We're like living, breathing, but bushka dolls. And so the work I do in the world is trying to educate leaders around that and giving them the really practical tools to kind of build their inner team while staying connected to who they really are at their core. Mm, love that. I know for a lot of my clients and, and probably a lot of people listening, they love what they do or they used to love what they do. And then when they start to bring people on their journey with them, start to hire out teams, suddenly they're not enjoying the overarching thing that they find themselves doing, which is managing people and trying to juggle all the things. And what I observe is it's because often they feel like they need to be someone else to get the results that they're after. And often that's mirroring or behaving in a way that's, you know, dominating or masculine or something that they've experienced because that's the only way they've seen work. But then when they go home at night, you know, they either don't like themselves very much or they reflect on it or if they're themselves, in inverted commas, kind, caring, then they feel like they get taken advantage of. It's so tricky, right? It's so tricky. So, I mean, there's so many of us who've had that direct feedback over our careers that that we've got to basically learn how to care less. You know, I had a leader pull me aside midway through my career and said, Cassie, the problem with you is that you care too much. If you ever want to make it into a senior leadership role, you've got to learn how to care less. And I, I speak to lots of people who have similar advice. And so to your point that what we're conditioned to believe at these masculine, more masculine traits of having edge, being slightly removed, not showing emotions, being maybe a little bit more uh, ruthless, I'd say, in our decisions around people, we're conditioned to believe that this is a way to get ahead And I think it's a way to protect ourselves because let's face it, the world of work is a heartbreaking world, right? And so I know lots of leaders who feel like they have to kind of lock their hearts away for safekeeping at the beginning of every workday just to kind of minimise the risk of heartbreak. So we're in this really tricky time, I think, at work where perhaps the old guard of leadership have believed this way of thinking, this way of being as leadership, which is partly explains the mess we're in, I think. <laughs> and there's other leaders who've been conditioned to kind of suppress or hide these really vitally important aspects of themselves at work. But what we know that at our core, we are all compassionate, connected curious, creative, playful beings. That's who we are at our core. These are some of the best qualities of human nature. But for so many of us, we've had to form these protective parts of ourselves that that don't always have full access to these qualities, really just to survive what have been historically fairly inhumane workplaces. And so really what this is, it's a really an unlearning and it's a harmonization like of all of our parts. And yes, sometimes we need to self-protect. Sometimes perhaps we need to be a little bit more assertive or more clear, more courageous. But really where I hope I support leaders to get to through the work I do is to create more harmonization between all these aspects of self and not losing sight of who we really are at our core, you know, not not becoming untethered to 
our caring nature, our playful nature, our curious nature, um, staying connected and honouring these qualities of our core selves, which is why I coined the phrase self-fidelity, which is a practice I made up. But it's really this practice of honouring and respecting and staying connected to these essential qualities of self. I love that. One of the first things that I teach a lot of my clients is how do we support you to choose to react, choose to act rather than just react. And what I loved about what you just said was tapping into who you actually are and responding from that place as opposed to whatever first emotion comes to mind, whatever default maybe is is set in your brain about what you've seen or experienced before. So that harmonisation between what you need to do, which, you know, in that moment and actually what feels really good to you really, really lands. Mm, it's this capacity to dig deeper, right, that, you know, we might be in a challenging situation and being able to notice inside, okay, part of me wants to strangle this person. <laughs> part of me wants to run out of the building screaming. Another part of me just wants to pour a big glass of white wine. <laughs> but deep down... <laughs> I know I can handle this. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I think a big part of equipping leaders to show up authentically and staying, feeling good about who they're being is this education piece that we have many parts. As Dr. Richard Schwartz, whose modality I I use to underpin my work, he he describes it this way. He, He says that what we think of as thinking is actually the inner dialogue between our many different parts. And so once we understand that, you know, I think we have the courage to look within and do the inner work of leadership because it means that we're not identified with these parts, a parts that might be quick to judge or lash out or think petty thoughts or want to have that glass of wine, that, that these parts don't reflect who we really, really are at our core. And I think just that little piece of understanding of self, the multiplicity of the human mind, gives us more permission, I think, to to have the courage to do the inner work of leadership. Mm, the conversation between our many parts, I love that. Mm, mm. Yeah, when we think about thinking in that way, it's like, ah, that's why I've pushed and pulled in so many directions. That's why sometimes I find myself behaving like a sport five-year-old little girl, right? It explains so much. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's why I, sometimes I feel crazy. <laughs> it explains all of that, yes, yes. Let's talk about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. What is it? Why does it happen? And how do you see it showing up? So imposter syndrome is a topic that is a very popular topic. You know, I run workshops, so I call them true confidence workshops, how to rise above imposter syndrome. And I have literally hundreds of people showing up to these workshops, often mainly women. And sometimes when I ask at the end of the workshop, you know, what's been most valuable, sometimes people will say, just the fact that another, you know, 199 women showed up for this event, which tells me I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, I feel very strongly about normalizing this inner experience of feeling like an imposter. So there's a lot of different definitions for imposter syndrome. The definitions that seem to resonate with the leaders I work with and coach are, are these two definitions, which is the internal psychological experience of feeling like a fake or a phony in some area of your life despite any success that you've achieved and that definition draws on the content on verywellmind.com there's another definition that resonates with a lot of people which is 
feeling anxious or not experiencing success internally despite being high-performing in external objective ways. And that comes from better up. So there's lots of different definitions, but normally it's this incongruence between how we feel internally about whether we should be in these roles, whether we're successful and doing air quotes, and the reality of, of the situation. And the tricky thing about this experience of feeling like an imposter is that you would think that the more successful we become, let's say the more senior we become in our businesses, you would think, well, this feeling of being an imposter should should dial down because there's evidence that I'm enough. But actually the, the tricky thing about it is that these voices in our head that, that get anxious about being found out actually get louder because the higher we rise, the further it is to fall. And so when I look at this this internal experience of feeling like an imposter or a fake or a phony through the lens of internal family systems, a modality that informs my work, what we could think about it, we could think about it in a different way. Even using the term imposter syndrome feels heavy, feels chronic, feels like this lifelong burden of being a fake or a phony. But I love to reframe it as an experience that we have when part of us doesn't feel like they're enough, maybe not enough, not not educated enough, not smart enough, not attractive enough, not you know, tough enough, you know, the list goes on. And when we have part of ourselves that, that kind of is burdened with this not enoughness, that, that's the experience we have when these parts get activated. So the the way I teach leaders to live with this, this part of themselves is to take care of this part, just like you would a little girl, you know, when she's feeling unsure, when she's feeling afraid, when she feels like she's about to be found out, how might we take care of these parts of ourselves, just like we would take care of a daughter or, or a son. And so really, that's the foundation of, of the practices I teach to help people to embrace this aspect of themselves and to continue to do great things in the world. Mm, love that. And even just calling it apart, again, acknowledges that it's there but doesn't let it feel big. It's just mm. a part. So I really love that's what I heard there. It's sort of, you know, you're not sort of pushing it down or pushing it away, but it doesn't actually define the whole of you as well. Exactly, Paula. And I think that thing you said about not pushing it down, pushing it away, not pushing it away is so vital because often when I coach people, they'll, they'll start to say, look, I've got, I feel like an imposter. I just wish it would go away. I've done so much work on myself. Why won't it stop? You know, it's this wishing it to go away, the suppressing or the numbing that's problematic, right? Because just like if you locked a six-year-old child in the basement, <laughs> they're not going to stay quiet for long. And when you open the door, they're, they're certainly not going to be happy. So rather than locking and pushing away these parts, it's really a curiosity, okay? What is it that this party is afraid of? In what ways do they not feel enough? And how might I develop a self-leadership practice that's going to cultivate this sense of enoughness that comes from within me and learn how to take care of this part of me when, when it's activated. Mm, love that. It's really interesting. I had quite a, a significant corporate career before I jumped into, you know, working for myself as an entrepreneur. And definitely one of the characteristics and traits, I guess, that's that drove my success was that ability to push down, to feel the fear, ignore it, 
and, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway or push through it or, you know, whether it was having a cold and not feeling very well back before COVID when it was okay to come into the office with a sniffle, <laughs> whether you'd push through that and come in anyway or, you know, it was presenting or doing something scary or whatever it is. And it's really been a big rewiring for me and delayering for the last 10 years to not operate like that because it's not sustainable, particularly exactly when you're working right. for yourself, when you can't like go on a you know, an official holiday and hand your whole team off to somebody else or whatever, which was what I used to do in corporate. If I went on a holiday, I'd get another director to come and like talk to my 30 people and run with things and actually got a holiday. So yeah, it's been really interesting for me to sort of rewire my brain to actually acknowledge and to actually process through, ah, what are you scared of? What are you making that mean? And just to sit with it. And I'll be honest, it's been uncomfortable. (laughs) Very uncomfortable, right? This is a deep work of true authentic leadership, right? And I love how you describe that. And that, that key insight you've had is the same insight I've had about that it's powerful. This is a powerful propellant within us to drive us to soldier on with codrill and <laughs> drink a can of harden up and just keep trying harder. All the conditioning, right, which which encourages this behavior, it's powerful, but it's not sustainable. And I describe that sort of energy as kind of like the coal-fired fuel equivalent, right? Powerful, but not sustainable and heavily polluting to our, our health, our relationships, goes on and on, the, the polluting effects of this way of being versus really anchoring into who we are at our core, what I would describe as our essence, our unique way of being as a leader, which is equally powerful but sustainable can carry us a distance and I really do believe that when we're being true to our deepest selves we're not doing harm to anyone and we're really activating our our deepest potential and serving the greatest good in our work. Mm, Love that. So from a practical perspective you know do you have some little tips or some simple tools that you can share as to how we process or turn down these voices in our head or things that are coming up on a day-to-day basis? Yes, absolutely. So the first thing I invite people to do is just to start to tune in to your inner dialogue. Like if you start thinking about your thinking as the the conversation between your different parts, as you tune into that inner dialogue through that lens, what do you notice? There's a very common three-part dance that I often describe and people go, oh, my gosh, you've just described my inner world. This is a three-part dance that, that something happens to us and then part of us suddenly feels worthless, very alone, isolated. Obviously, often it's a younger part that feels alone, not good enough, and somehow worthless is triggered by challenges. The second part that's often triggered is a part that wants to feel less, a part whose job it is to numb, to hose things down. These might be the parts of us that cause us to overwork, to overexercise, to overeat, to drink alcohol, to go online shopping for stuff we don't need. And so this part whose primary job it is to feel less by whatever means possible And then that part often triggers a third part, which is some sort of inner critic or judge, which then criticizes us on top of everything else. Now we've eaten that chocolate bar, another pair of white sneakers or have that glass of red wine or whatever thing we've done. And so that's an example of a three-part dance that you might notice some version of that pattern inside of you. And that's a great sort of clue about, okay, some of the different parts, the roles they play, the jobs they do, what they're afraid of. So tuning into your inner dialogue through that lens is a great way to start. 
And then the next one is to start to recognize what are these parts. You know, I have a part of myself I call Little Miss Achiever. Her mission in life is to be a high-achieving, low-maintenance machine. (laughs) She's the one who propelled me to great heights in my corporate career but is not a sustainable way of being, is really often anti-leadership behaviors because it's all about her collecting gold stars. So maybe you've got some version of that Little Miss Achiever as a part of me that does want to feel less after a tricky day. That part of me often thinks to itself, like, I really want a glass of wine. I've learned to stock my fridge with ice cold Heineken Zeros because <laughs> I'm outwitting this part. And when, when she's activated, like, that was a tough day. Let's just have a glass of wine. I'll just reach for a non-alcoholic beer and she'll feel okay and I will still get a good night's sleep. <laughs> and so there's just some examples. You know, you might have parts that lash out to self-protect, parts that push people away, perfectionistic parts. I recently coached a leader in her 60s who identified as a perfectionist her whole life. And at the end of our session, she said, you know what, I thought I was taking care of myself all these years, but I wasn't taking care of that little girl inside of me who felt she needed to be perfect in order to be enough. And so, you know, you can identify these parts is the next one. And the third tip would be to embrace, not exile. Whatever these parts are, whatever their, their tricks are to keep you safe and protected, how might you embrace them? You know, I really do think about these parts as having all these younger girls that live inside of me. It might sound weird, but I have two sons. But as I started doing this work, my feeling is I've, I've always wanted daughters and I've always, and all this time I've had little girls inside of me that need my care and my love and my leadership. Um, so they're my three tips. Tune into you in our dialogue. Start to recognize the different parts of you and figure out how to embrace, not exile these parts of yourself. Mm, love that. Thank you so much. In your experience, do you think that it's more difficult to be true to you as a leader when you're sitting in a corporate role versus your own business? Like, do you, have you got experience across both? And have you noticed, is there a particular technique that might apply more to the entrepreneurs listening, for example? I thought a lot about this, right? Having spent so many decades in corporate and now having run my own business as an entrepreneur for almost five years now, I've thought a lot about this. And in a nutshell, my answer is that skillful authenticity can happen in any context. So whether it's a big corporate or whether as an entrepreneur, skillful authenticity that's informed by some of these self-leadership practice which is informed by a deep level of self-awareness. Like, do you know who you are at your core? Can you describe your essence in three to five words? And are you familiar with the different parts of yourself that are disconnected from this essence? Like, that's what I'm talking, the level of self-awareness. And when we have these sorts of capabilities and skills and level of self-awareness in place, I do believe that we can be skillfully authentic in any context. Now, I know that For those listeners in big business, perhaps there's more unspoken ground rules or head cultural headwinds to being, you know, a caring leader, depending on that context. Are those unspoken ground rules and those cultural norms perhaps stronger to swim against in a big business potentially? But in a small business, you've got your own pressures. You know, I've certainly found myself as a small business owner pitching for big contracts and being hijacked by Little Miss Achiever, for example, in the pressure of those moments. Uh, She has a tell where she'll start to use fancy words that I don't really understand. (laughs) 
I had a big pitch not long ago and I found myself using the word provocateur in a French accent and I was like, oh, gosh, okay, thanks a lot, Miss Achiever. You've just blown that one for me. <laughs> <laughs> stick to words we understand. <laughs> Try to sound all fancy. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, regardless of the pressures we face, we, we can be hijacked by these parts. So I know that doesn't exactly answer your question, but I do believe whether you're a small business owner, you know, a CEO of a mid-sized company or working in a big corporate, skillful authenticity is possible um, in any of those contexts if we've invested in that inner work and that that deep, deeper layer of self-awareness. Mm, love that. Thank you. So before we wrap up, What's your top three little bits of advice to everybody listening to help them be more true to themselves? The first piece of advice would be if you're resisting the inner work of looking inside because you feel like you're about to open a can of worms, find some support and find some courage to to look within anyway. You know, there's no worms inside of us, (laughs) just a lot of younger layers of self that really do need our leadership and our care. So, find the courage and find the support you need to move through that fear of the can of worms fear, I call it, and and start looking within. Um, The second thing I would say is don't don't go it alone, right? There's a beautiful quote from David White that I used to open my first book and he says, put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. And I really love that idea that, you know, the more work I do with leaders who found the courage to explore the inner world, the more I realize we're not alone. Whatever the crazy, and I'm using air quotes for crazy, whatever the crazy of your inner world, I promise you, you're, you're not the only one who experiences this. So so don't go alone and find some support. And I think the third piece of advice is to be kind to yourself. You know, sometimes we're off course more than we are on course when it comes to the work of authentic leadership and just to keep course correcting and to be kind to ourselves in these practices. Like sometimes we're going to get it right. Sometimes we're going to show up as our most empowered self. Sometimes we're going to dig deep enough to respond rather than react. And sometimes we're going to act like five-year-old kids, right? And that's okay. So I think continue to be kind to yourself and just keep course correcting back. Oh, love that. Course correcting and remembering it's a practice. So good. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared today. I'm sure that everybody listening is going to want to hear more, read more and connect with you. Where should they go to do that? Thanks, Paula. So my website is selffidelity.com. So that's self-fidelity.com. LinkedIn is my primary platform. So I'd love to connect with any of your listeners on LinkedIn. They'll find me under Cassandra Goodman. I have a bright yellow background on my banner. And they're the two main channels. I'm also building up my own podcast, which is called the True Power Podcast that can be found on Spotify and on Apple. So I'd love to invite people to go and check that out. Amazing. I'll put all those links in the show notes for everybody listening. Thank you so much for your time today and all your wisdom. It's been beautiful chatting to you. Thank you so much, Paula. 